Good morning. Thank you, Lana and Morgan, and thank you, Gordy. Unusual walk up here this morning. I was telling Lynn on my way out here this morning that uh, my stomach hurt. She says, why? She says, I'm, I'm nervous. Coming back before Eureka Bible Church. You guys have been such a part of our life for so long. Several weeks ago that Aaron, Pastor Aaron, asked me if I would bring the message this morning, and I thought about it for a while. I said, finally said, I'd be happy to do it. And he told me they were going to be going through Second Corinthians. He gave me the passage that would align with this Sunday. And he says, or you can just pick something else to talk about. And uh, because of where I was at at that time, emotionally and spiritually, I decided to pick something else. This is my personal mission moment this morning, if you would. It all came about when I was reading on Facebook, and I don't ever post anything on Facebook, okay? I just pirate off of lens. I read what everybody else is saying. and I'm. Uh, but I was reading on Facebook, somebody made a comment, and it it made me think. Most posts that I see on Facebook maybe make me react in some other way, but this one actually made me think. And it was about rescue and resurrection. And as I thought about that, and I was thinking about preparation for this morning, that thought would not leave me, and so I started to, to think and pray about what the Lord might have for me to share with you this morning, and this is where I came to these two passages in the, in the book of Matthew. You'll notice in both of them, Peter is the central figure. Peter is the central figure. So in Matthew 14, if you have your Bibles open there, you'll maybe know the story that this was a, a busy day for Jesus and the disciples. Jesus had uh, fed 5,000 people. They were in this lonely place, and then he had fed 5,000 people, and he told his disciples, now you go on ahead, you cross over the lake, the sea, and I am going to go up into the mountains to pray. And so that's what they did. And while Jesus is up in the mountains praying, and the disciples are in the boat rowing for all their lives, a storm picks up. You know the story, right? You know the story well, I'm sure. You learned it in Sunday school or you've read it about it since. And it seems like right when they needed him most, Jesus wasn't there. Have you ever noticed that about this story? Right when they really could use Jesus to be with them, he wasn't anywhere around. At least that was what they thought. Now, Jesus was praying, and if you look through the Gospels, you look at how Jesus prayed, and quite often you'll see that Jesus, when he prays, he prays for himself, he prays for large groups of people, or he specifically is praying for the disciples. And I think that's probably one of the things Jesus was praying for. As the disciples were working hard to get their boat to the other side of the sea, he was praying for them. But it was still a tough spot to be in for the disciples. We read in verse 24 that there was a strong wind and they were not making any progress. 
the boat is probably starting to take on water. So I imagine some of the disciples are working hard on the oars and others are bailing out the boat with whatever they had available. And we read in verse 25, it was during the fourth watch that Jesus is going to come to them. That might not mean too much to us, but if you do a little digging, you'll find out the fourth watch is between 3 o'clock, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now, when did the disciples first get in the boat? Well, if you look back in verse 15 and verse 23, you'll see it's late afternoon or early evening when they first get into the boat. The disciples have been in the boat trying to get to the other side for what? Eight hours? And they're not making any headway. They're not making any headway. Now, many of the disciples were fishermen. You've probably noted that too at one time or another. And so I am sure that all of these disciples, especially the fishermen, had heard stories about fishermen that were caught out in the boat in the middle of a storm and they never made it back. That's what's playing in the back of their minds. So if I was going to characterize the fishermen, and because I'm a preacher, I want, I want these all to kind of, you know, line up nicely, there would be fatigue, okay, because they'd been rowing a long time. There would be frustration because they weren't getting anywhere, and there would be fear, the three Fs. Fatigue, frustration, and fear were part of their lives at that moment because they didn't know how this was all going to play out. And I got to thinking, what have we all had in the last months of our lives? Maybe to differing degrees for each one of us, but some of us have had fear. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to ones I love with the pandemic going around? And who is that going to affect? Is that going to affect some of my loved ones? We've maybe had frustration as we work through stage one, stage two, stage three, and we finally made it to stage four. But who knows when stage five is finally going to get here, right? And so we've probably had some frustration. And maybe your frustration has been more personal than that. And fear. Is this ever going to be over with? How are we going to get past this? When are we going to be able to move ahead? And not just with the pandemic, but think about all the social unrest that came during this time as well. When is this going to be over with? How is this going to play out? What is going to happen? Think about the economic upheaval that many people have gone through as they've lost their jobs and wondering how they're going to be able to buy food. And many, many people go into the food pantries. The three F's have been part of our lives as well. Fatigue, frustration, and fear. And when the disciples are battling those things, the fatigue and the frustration and the fear, what happens? Jesus comes, doesn't he? Jesus comes walking on the water. Well, that, you know, to me, that would catch my attention right away. <laughs> You're out in the middle of the, the water and somebody comes walking across and... Uh, Jesus says to them in verse 27, he says, don't be afraid. Don't let your fear rule your life. Just by the fact that Jesus is walking across the water, 
And I've always tried to visualize how that was, you know. There's waves. Is Jesus kind of riding the wave and walking across the crest of the waves? I don't know, but I get all these images. But he's walking on the water, and that ought to tell them, as it should tell us something, is that Jesus is in charge. They may have fear and frustration and fatigue, but Jesus is in charge of that whole situation, and he is the master over all creation, and he comes walking to them on the water. And he says, don't be afraid. Now, I've heard many of you, and we've experienced this ourselves too, Lynn and I have, we've had many, many times over the last two or three months where we read a word of scripture, or we join in a Zoom prayer meeting or something like that, or we, or we hear a song, or we come to an outdoor service. I just had tears rolling down my cheeks on Good Friday. Boy, that spoke to me. And it seems like when we're in the middle of our fear and frustration and fatigue, quite often that's when Jesus comes to us. He speaks to us. He says, don't forget. Maybe it's the words of a song. Maybe it's something in Scripture. Maybe it's the testimony of a friend. But he says, don't forget, I'm here. I'm here. So verse 28, Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, I'd like to come out and join you. Seems kind of foolish, doesn't it? It's interesting, though, in the Gospel of Mark, the same story. Mark tells us from Peter's words, from Peter's perspective, because that's where Mark got his information, it looked as if Jesus was just going to walk on by. Not stop and get in the boat, but he's, I'm just walking over to the other side. And so Peter says, I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to come out. I want to get out of the boat. I want to be with Jesus. That's a very admirable request. But you know what happens. Verse 30, Peter sees the wind and he begins to sink. And he, he cries out to Jesus to save him, is the word that's used there in the ESV. It's a word that's used throughout the New Testament any number of times. Sometimes it's translated save, and often it's also translated rescue. That's what Peter was after. He was after a rescue, wasn't he? He wasn't asking about his soul's salvation and forgiveness of sin. He wanted to rescue. He wanted to be taken from that situation where he was starting to sink into the wild sea and be brought to a place of safety. He wanted to be rescued. Rescue, in the terminology of the scriptures, is always about a removal from. Removal from a situation and bringing to a new place. And Peter knew the word. Peter knew that God was a God who rescued. There's a variety of words in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that reminds us that God rescues his own, that he removes from. I'd just like to give you a few examples here. Exodus chapter 2. When the children of Israel are suffering in slavery, Israel's cry for rescue, God get us out of here, came up to God. Second Samuel 22. 
David is testifying. He says, God rescued me from my strong enemy. He gave me a way of escape. Psalm 31, David is writing, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Isaiah 31, the Lord of hosts will spare and rescue Jerusalem, bring them into a new situation. Micah chapter 4, it says, Israel will go into Babylon, but there the Lord will rescue them. He will bring them back to where they belong. Acts chapter 12, Peter is miraculously freed from prison. And he says, he testifies, he says, God has rescued me. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul is listing all the troubles that he's been through. He says, but God has rescued me from all of them. He brought me into a new situation. He removed me from that. Second Peter chapter 2, he says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly, his children from trials. And that's what Jesus does. Verse 31, he rescues Peter. But then he expresses his surprise and maybe his disappointment that Peter's faith was so limited when he was confronted with his own fear and fatigue and frustration. Maybe like you, I battled with the three F's. I did. About the same time that the things were being shut down, I had a part-time job that I was doing and I received word that I was gonna be furloughed. There's another F from my job, okay? <laughs> I was gonna be furloughed. About that same time, Lynn and I came to a decision that we were no longer gonna pursue any placement, uh, temporary pastoring, interim pastoring, that we were done with that, that we were gonna stay around here. So I, I retired, kind of in what I thought were unexpected uh, situations. Uh, I lost my part-time job. There was, I'm, my doctor keeps telling me, he says, you are high risk during this time. You know some of my health issues. And I just wanted to say, God, just get me out of here. Rescue me. You're a God who rescues, so rescue me. Get me out of here. And our God is a God who rescues, isn't he? Doesn't God rescue? Thank you, Gordy. God often rescues people in very specific times, like Peter. He pulled them up out of the water, like people that are being rescued from their own sin or brought into a new place, people that have received healing or are given new health. And God provides resources. He rescues from poverty and God sometimes rescues us by helping us adjust to a new situation. God, our God, is a God who rescues. So let's give thanks to God for that, right? Anybody want to say amen to that besides Gordy? Okay, amen. God is a God who rescues. Turn to Matthew 16. We'll see that our God is also a God who raises from the dead. Our God is not only a God of rescue, our God is a God of resurrection. That's what Matthew 16 is about. So it's later, later than the walk on the water, and Jesus and his disciples has taken his disciples up to the far north, an area called Caesarea Philippi, and that was a, an area that was well known in those days for for many, many temples to false gods. And in the shadow of those temples, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? 
And the disciples give a little summary of what some people said, but Peter has something else to say. Peter says, when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, verse 16. He says, Jesus, as far as I am concerned, you are the Son of God, you are the promised Messiah, you are the great King that we have been waiting for, you have the prophet that has been promised, you are the priest that is going to minister to his people. And these are such amazing words that Jesus looks Peter in the eye and he says, Peter, you did not figure that out on your own, did you? God taught you that. And those amazing words are in Peter's confession of who Jesus is. He's saying, in essence, God is working in this world. God is fulfilling his plan. God is, is working toward a final triumph, a final victory. That's going to come, Peter is saying, because the king is here now. And Jesus affirms Peter in what he says in verse 17, but then in verse 21 he says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must go. A little word in Greek, but it means so much. It means there's necessity. It means it's going to happen. It means there's no turning away from this. This is absolutely what is going to what is going to happen? God is going to carry out this plan. He must go to Jerusalem, and he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he must be killed, and on the third day he must be raised. Verse 22, Peter says, uh-uh, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not if I have anything to say about it. It's, it's just not going to happen. You are not going to suffer and die, Jesus. That can't ever be God's purpose with his Messiah, the Son of God, the promised one, that he should suffer and die. And probably in the back of his head, he says, we're following you. We don't want to suffer and die either. He says, this is the way it has to be. The chosen one is not going to suffer and die. God is going to win instead. There's going to be triumph, and God is going to work everything out because God is a God who rescues. And God is going to rescue you from this, Jesus, just as you rescued me from the sea. That's the end of the discussion. As far as Peter is concerned, God is a God who rescues. And he's not wrong, but he doesn't see everything. Because in all that, what Jesus told them, he talks about suffering and going to Jerusalem and suffering and death. Peter misses the idea of the resurrection, and instead he focuses in on the rescue and he says, suffering and death cannot be God's way for his chosen one. And Jesus answers Peter, Peter, that idea that God won't bring suffering and sorrow, that God won't bring disappointment and death into the life of his Messiah, 
and of those that follow him. That's not God's thought. That's the devil's thought. That's not truth. That's a lie. You shouldn't believe that, Peter, because it's not true. He's saying, in other words, Peter, don't be surprised when the three F's come into your life. Fatigue, fear, and frustration. I never said I was going to rescue from all of that. Instead, he says, Peter, and told the other disciples, he says, if you're going to follow me, you're not always going to find rescue. Verse 24 and 25, he says, expect instead that you should think about You ready for this? Three S's. Self-denial. Suffering. And a loss of safety. He said, that's what you should expect if you're going to follow me, Peter. Because the resurrection is also God's way. Matthew 11, uh, 11.5 story is uh, the, uh, the report is being given to John the Baptist. He says, go back and tell John the Baptist that the blind see, the lame walk, the leper cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. Resurrection is part of God's plan. Those people were dead. They suffered, but God brought them back. John chapter 2, Jesus says about himself, you destroy this temple, my body, and in three days I will raise it up. He says, I'm not going to escape suffering. I'm going to go through suffering. John chapter 6, several places, says God will raise up those who believe on the last day. That's a future hope, not a present reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God raised up Jesus and will also raise us up by his power. That is our hope. Ephesians chapter 2, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Our hope as believers is resurrection. Resurrection through and not always rescue from. You see the difference there? It's resurrection through, new life through suffering rather than rescue from suffering. See, this was my struggle down deep. I wasn't suffering that much. I had a kind of a forced retirement and a loss of a job, and I was frustrated because so many things didn't seem to be going my way, and I was having to say goodbye to a lot of things that I held dear. Uh, I, I get a kick out of doing what I'm doing right now, even though I am scared. Uh, I enjoy this, and I was saying goodbye to that, and I was, in my mind, I was saying I'm, I'm losing my sense of, of purpose. I was. I was losing some of my dreams. I was losing the, the affirmation that comes to, to pastors quite often, and I, I knew I was going to miss that because I'm, I struggle with that. I was losing something. And I know many of you have lost things too in the last few months. Some of you have lost a sports season where you're going to state for the first time in what, how many years? You lost that. Seniors lost their graduation. Some people lost their work. 
We all kind of lost our freedom to go wherever we wanted whenever we felt like it. We all sort of lost the illusion that we can, we like to carry with us that everything is going to work out all right. We lost the illusion that everybody thinks about our country the way that we think about our country. Never was true. We had to say goodbye to that. That hurts, doesn't it? Some people have just grievances, and it hurts to realize, though, as a, as a country, that we're not all on the same page, that that illusion is gone. But our God is a God who raises from the dead, isn't he? He's a God who rescues, who takes out of, but he's also a God who brings through, who brings through death into resurrection. And God may resurrect us now through giving us new faith, as Gordy testified and a couple family members. God gives resurrection now as he gives new life through difficult situations where even maybe when we don't have our job back or we don't have our, our, our ministry back or we don't have the things that we enjoy doing or we're not able to get together, God can give us new hope. Even when we're going through times of loneliness and isolation and confusion, God can infuse us with new hope and new purpose. And that's what I found out. It wasn't easy for me to find that out, but that's what I found out. God is a God of res resurrection. Not always of rescue, but he's always a God of resurrection. So can we give thanks to God for that? That he's a God who, who brings us through the difficulties to give us new life. Not always pulls us out of the difficulties. And that's where I've learned over the last few months that, I mean, I thought I knew this, but evidently I didn't. And I'm always learning to trust God in new ways and that I can trust him at all times. The Facebook post that I referred to in the beginning went something like this. I couldn't find it again. It was, it was gone. But it went something like this. As Christians, we believe God is a God of rescue and resurrection, but we almost always prefer rescue. Is that true? Are we disappointed sometimes if God just gives resurrection? We said, I want rescue. I want you to get me out of here, God. See, Peter knew this. Peter knew that God was a God of rescue, and he cried out for it, and he was rescued, but he rejected the idea of resurrection, that through suffering, God was going to do his work. People always ask, what are we learning through this time of enforced isolation and social upheaval and economic downturns? One of the lessons that I am learning is that I have this terrible tendency to prefer rescue to resurrection. 
In fact, it's so easy to be disappointed and disillusioned and desperate if you want three Ds. (laughs) Sorry. It's so easy when God says, I'm going to give you resurrection rather than rescue. It was interesting last week, Pastor Aaron talked from 2 Corinthians about the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Do you know where most of the the great majority of the rescue terminology in the Bible is found? Most of it, the overwhelming majority of it is found in the Old Testament. What does God talk about in the New Testament? He talks about resurrection. There's almost no mention of resurrection in the Old Testament. That's all New Covenant. And it's as if God is saying to us now, he says, you know, I want you to be prepared for the fact as believers in Jesus Christ, if you follow Jesus who suffered and came through his suffering to the resurrection, that that is the path that you are going to walk as well. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. We're people of the resurrection, aren't we? That's what we are. We're people that say, we don't expect God to rescue us all the time because we know that God has purposes in our suffering as well. Sometimes God teaches us his best lessons through suffering rather than removing us from suffering. Teaches us to rely more fully on him, 2 Corinthians 1. Teaches us to learn to forsake our sins more quickly, Luke chapter 13. Teaches us to grow in our Christ-likeness, Hebrews chapter 12. It reminds us that as we suffer that we are following Jesus who also suffered, Philippians chapter 3. We read that in John chapter 9 that when we suffer, the glory of God is revealed more clearly. Read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that it is only as we suffer in hope of the resurrection that we're equipped to better serve and to point other people to Jesus. As believers in Jesus, we have to be committed to resurrection, new life that comes through suffering, after, and not insist on rescue. Get me out of here now. It's the reality of the world. Paul says in Romans 8 that creation is groaning. He says further in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, this is what we must expect as we follow Jesus. He says, in fact, he says, you are destined for suffering. People are upset about all the things that are happening in this country. And I am praying more and more that God is going to use the pandemic. He's going to use the social upheaval. He's going to use all of these things to teach us some very good lessons that we need to learn. And one of those lessons is simply going to be is that even in the difficult times, he is sufficient. Do we have things we need to change in our lives? Absolutely. Do we things have things we need to learn in a new way? Absolutely. Do we need to 
pray that God will be teaching our country to find ways to move forward that will be just and equitable? Absolutely. We may not like these times, but here's the key. We need these times. We need these times. As times like this remind us that this world, how does the old song go? Is not my final home. That God is able in all things, even in a crisis. And that God is always, always to be trusted. I'd like you to stand up. And we're going to listen to a song. We're not singing yet this week, okay? I'm not going to say you can't hum along, but don't sing along. But we're going to listen to a wonderful, wonderful song of the resurrection. Jesus suffered, but he came through suffering to new life.